coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And as we await the Georgia Senate vote on the Buckhead City, I'm sorry, the City of Buckhead City movement, you got to say it that way because there actually already is a Buckhead, Georgia. Uh, anyway, as we await the outcome of this, I, I want to go over some of the highlights of just in the last 24 hours. Y'all, uh, the Buckhead City push has finally reached the Fox News elevation. Uh-huh. Bill White went on Tucker Carlson yesterday. I want you to listen to how Tucker spells this, uh, this fight out. It's dangerous. It's mismanaged. It's a famously corrupt city. The thing is that Buckhead pays for, like, the whole city. Uh... But wait, Buckhead pays for the entire city of Atlanta? Wow. That is a breaking that should come with a breaking news screen, right? That is breaking news. Buckhead pays for the entire city of Atlanta? Wow. Huh. That's gonna be news to the rest of Atlanta. You know, let's continue. The people of Buckhead have decided, well, wait a minute. Why are we paying for a city that is this mismanaged and this dangerous and that hates us? Wait, who who said anybody hates Buck? Wait, what? Isn't it the other way around? Actually, we don't hate. Who hates Buckhead? When does that ever become a thing? I hate those. I mean, okay, sure. We have a term for the complaining Buckhead. Late. Buckhead Betty exists, <laughs> but it doesn't mean we hate Buckhead. Who hates Buckhead? Tucker. Talking about something that know nothing about. Let's let him continue. And so some in Buckhead have decided to split and become their own town. That's mm. called democracy. Where you wait, we wait. All of a sudden, Fox News loves democracy. They don't like it when you bring up the electoral college. But now we love de- democracy. Uh, okay, carry on, Tuck. Govern your own town, mm. and it is achieved a major victory. Two bills in the legislature in Georgia would allow Buckhead to secede and become self-governing. They just passed a Georgia Senate committee. A floor vote is imminent. Bill White is the volunteer CEO of the Buckhead City Committee. He joins us now. Bill, I think for the third time, thank you so much uh, for what you've done on this. It's important not just for Buckhead, but for the whole country to see that democracy can exist in the United States. You get to govern your own town if you want. How- <clears throat> by, by the way, those... Citizens in Buckhead have long been voting on other things like their state representation. And everyone who represents Buckhead in the state legislature is against Buckhead City's movement. Democracy? Anyway, let's listen to the interview. How close are you to pulling this off, do you think? Well, thank you so much, Tucker, for having us on. And we are on the eve of a historic vote in the Georgia state senate uh we have had a great champion in our lieutenant governor burt jones we thank him tucker and we are confident that he will bring us uh the votes that uh, we need to prevail in the senate the Lute- wait a minute that's news too burt jones has really not been all that outspoken about this in this session calendar but burt jones is all of a sudden like he's fully on board okay that's news let's let him continue he will bring us Uh, the votes that uh, we need to prevail in the Senate. The lieutenant governor assures us that he will do everything in his power to help us get this two bills out of his chamber. After Georgia's Mm. last lieutenant governor, Jeff Duncan, it's a breath of fresh air that we have a leader of the state Senate who doesn't bow 
to the city of Atlanta. We've been working on this legislation, as you know, Tucker, for over two years. And Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones has been invaluable in helping keep wow. this momentum on the rails. Tomorrow is our big test of his leadership. And I think he will pass that test with flying colors. We're counting on our Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones and the Georgia State Senate, led by our great Republicans, to hold the city of Atlanta accountable once and for all. I mean, this really is a test of democracy. You're being attacked as some sort of hate figure because you want self-government. Since when did democracy become so unfashionable? I thought everyone was in favor of democracy. <laughs> what happened? Yeah, all we're asking for is the right to vote. You know, on the May 24th primary last year, 960,000 Georgia voters voted yes in all 159 counties on the Buckhead City ballot question. Um, that's, that's not democracy, dude. That's 900,000 Georgia voters throughout the entire state of Georgia. Not Buckhead residents, not Atlanta residents, all throughout the state of Georgia. That's like if we gave Canadian voters, Mexican voters, the opportunity to decide, should the United States get rid of its arcane and archaic electoral college that netted us George W. Bush and Donald J. Trump? How do you think North America would vote on that? Continue. So those people elect our Georgia state representatives, and they've sent a clear message. Even in Fulton County, uh, we got 80% of the Republican votes in Fulton County. By the way, 80% of the Republican voters in the last election would equate to 20.96% of all voters in Fulton County. I believe in democracy terms, that would be a landslide ass whooping. And, you know, they have never not let a cityhood movement that came before them not be permitted to have the right to vote. Actually, I call on uh, Andre Dickens, uh, the mayor of, of Atlanta, to just come out here and say, let us all vote. What's, what's the problem with voting? May the best campaign win. Because <laughs> they hate democracy. They also hate you, but they want you to pay for everything. Hang on a second. I just can't with this hating democracy-ish. We have been asking to get rid of the Electoral College since 2000 at minimum, right? We don't hate democracy. We love democracy. We believe democracy should be widespread from coast to coast throughout these United States. Oh, oh, no, not then, right? Oh, I see. Then, then democracy is not popular with Republicans because then it's mob rule. <laughs> so if you win this, I think it will be a sign for towns across the country. You don't have to be managed into the ground by criminals who hate you. You can... Run your own affairs. Criminals? So good. best of luck. Bill White, thank you for joining us tonight. Criminals? Did he say that Atlanta city leaders are criminals? Oh, dude, that's like defamation. Don't you have enough lawsuit issues at Fox News, Tuckums? Careful, brother. One thing Tucker did say that I'll agree with. If you win this, I think it will be a sign for towns across the country. The affluent area called West Augusta in my hometown, Augusta, Georgia. I'm telling you, they're watching this because they want to do the same thing. The lazier form of white flight. Atlanta City Council President Doug Shipman, by the way, spoke to some of the reasons that the Buckhead City movement is even a thing. Of course, they point to crime, criminal behavior. You heard Tucker Carlson talk about criminals. I think he's going to get sued for that, by the way, because it seems the inference was he was talking about Atlanta City leaders. Do we have anybody on city council or in the mayor's office that's a criminal?
Anyway, Doug Shipman was talking about crime, and these stats need to be repeated. Over the course of the last year, we have made major investments financially and politically in public safety. We have invested in police officers. We have invested in a precinct in Buckhead. We have invested in take-home car program, the first time that we have ever done that in the city of Atlanta. We have invested in recruitment. We've invested in housing for our police officers, and we have seen retention rates go up. And so what have we seen? We've seen crime has actually decreased over the whole city. In fact, the zone in Buckhead had the highest decrease last year in hmm. crime year over year. Year to date, we actually have seen crime down 2%. We've seen homicides across the city down 55%. We've seen rapes down 67%. We've seen assaults down 16% year to date. So it's something that has been a key focus. It's been a key focus of council. It's been a key focus of the mayor. And I think that we're starting to see those results. By the way, that was through last month, through the like last week. That was through the end of February, year-to-date 2023. That new precinct that the city built, by the way, uh, I mean, if it costs as much as a fire station did recently, I think the city's going to get $5,000 for it. What a bargain. You can't go to Big Lots or Ollie's and do score that well, right? <laughs> wow. $13 million it costs to build a fire station. So if a police station costs around the same, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, New City of Buckhead's going to get it. I'm sorry, City of Buckhead City is going to get it for $5,000. $1,000 for every other city building. Parkland for $100 an acre. When an acre of land sells for like a million dollars or more inside this City of Buckhead City's footprint. By the way, this new Buckhead City, City of Buckhead City's water and sewer, $100,000 each. I mean, we've got bonds on them worth $3 billion. Boy, they're getting off cheap, right? I will say this much. If there's one thing I can appreciate the City of Buckhead City movement, it's that it's sort of a postage stamp microcosm, like a small, a smaller example of what white flight did to American cities throughout the second half of the 20th century, if we're being honest. And I've said that this is a lazier form of white flight because these residents don't have to move. They can just detach. But what I'm saying is when there was that out-migration that occurred, I say not coincidentally, around the same time schools were getting integrated and a lot of African Americans were returning from rural areas back to the city for manufacturing jobs, thanks in large part to organized labor. Why do you think conservatives hate organized labor? There was that out-migration that was kind of a response to it. And what happened is those folks moved out of the city limits out to the suburban communities and counties, but still had the jobs here in the city. So the infrastructure still needed to stay intact. All the roads that had whatever bonds attached to them to pay for them, uh, that needed to stay maintained for use for those folks who now don't live in the city, aren't paying property taxes in any way, shape, form, or fashion, to commute in and out of the city still. Yeah, th- that infrastructure had to be maintained. And that includes water and sewer. So they get to enjoy the fruits of living near a major city where the jobs are without actually contributing to the upkeep of the city that they and their jobs so desperately need. In the city of Buckhead City's case, they get that without actually having to move, and they get to fleece the city of Atlanta 
for property and for buildings and for entire infrastructure systems for pennies on the dollar. Man, what a screw job, right? And they thought they thought they were going to get to continue sending their kids to Atlanta public schools, I'm sure without contributing to the APS budget, right? Well, APS said, uh, no, that's not how it works. You have to be a resident of the city of Atlanta for your kid to attend Atlanta public schools. Something else that the Buckhead City movement didn't seem to have corralled or understood very well in the three years that they had put this plan together. Okay, so in any event, as uh, we are producing today's show in the four o'clock hour, we understand that there is now floor debate happening. We expect to have a vote. So you may get the results in an hour and a half or so after it actually happens. Okay, fine. Don't watch Twitter. We'll tell you what happens. (laughs) Anyway, we will let you know how this vote shakes out in the Senate, and we'll have uh, audio from some of the uh, opening statements and arguments as well. More Ron Show on America One Radio after this. Follow The Ron Show on Twitter at RonShowATL. The Ron Show on America One Radio. Now imagine my surprise when I woke to a ton of text messages from my old buddy Austin Rhodes in Augusta, Georgia. I think he gets tickled when I bring him up on the show. And listen, I will uh, give credit where it's due. He had been telling me for years, Ron, you need to do your own thing. You need to move to a liberal liberal city like San Francisco and get on the radio and do this thing. Um, Okay, well, I didn't have to move to uh, San Francisco to do this. And this is, by the way, just a side hustle. You hear my commercials. I do real estate, residential real estate, and I'm happy to do that. But I'm also happy to do this because I'm passionate about... uh, you know, our political process in this country and seeing uh, my city and county and state excel and in this country and this country excel on the global stage for all the right reasons. And I believe that the rising tide lifts all boats uh, doesn't exactly show itself in the trickle down era of the last four to five decades. I think the rising tide comes from the bottom up, right? Really, the water starts at the bottom of an empty pond or lake. And when you fill the pond or lake, the rising tide lifts all the boats. Well, we've been doing it the exact opposite. <laughs> we've, we've been trying to, to fill the boat from the top, and well, that just, that just floods the boat. So uh, anyway, I heard from Austin today. He uh, wanted to, uh, to take um, uh, some, some, some quibbles with my Cynthia uh, McKinney. I'm sorry, his deciding to compare Cynthia McKinney with Marjorie Taylor Greene. And uh, he liked to talk about the fact that, uh, you know, McKinney's uh, district was gerrymandered. Well, of course it was. I mean, I mean gerrymandering has been going on forever. Whether it's, you know, one that's specifically carved out for Democrats or Republicans, it, it, regardless, one side of the aisle wants to eliminate gerrymandering and the other seeks to protect it. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, she wanted to bring up, uh, he wanted to bring up the fact that he believes that Cynthia McKinney was an anti-Semite. Did she, did she bring up Jewish space lasers? Hmm. Um, said that she called Al Gore, Cynthia McKinney called Al Gore a racist. I mean, does that not actually also jibe with Marjorie Taylor Greene, who by the way, had to be condemned by house Republicans for making racist videos. Um, yeah, let's see. What else did he bring up? Uh, oh, yeah, the, the Capitol uh, police officer scuffle. Really, dude? January 6th. Marjorie Taylor Greene is advocating for insurrectionists who did far worse to Capitol City police. 
Oh, man. Anyway, it's always good to wake up at 7.30 to a barrage of text messages from him about that. But uh, I also awoke to uh, a text from uh, my friend Jay Bookman, columnist, writer for the Georgia Recorder, uh, to point out that he had penned uh, an op-ed in the Georgia Recorder about Marjorie Taylor Greene. I'm only too happy to share some of that with you. The headline, Marjorie Taylor Greene ascends in the GOP because of stupidity, not in spite of it. Oh, I would agree with that one thousand percent. Oh, I mean, I mean, one thousand percent. One of the reasons I think that uh, Donald Trump was as popular as he was, was because he spoke a lot like the typical Fox News viewer. Yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of what he was. He had become a Foxified individual who just had, uh, if not personal wealth, access to other folks' personal wealth and knew all the right people and the movers and shakers in order to ascend uh, on a platform that no other person who spoke as thinly and with as loose grasp of the issues as he was able to. I mean, we saw it. There were like, what, 12, 14 other Republicans on the dais who were kind of chuckling about things he'd say because they didn't want to actually dismiss what he was saying. They've been building their own political empire based on that kind of misinformation. So they weren't going to curtail it. He was literally a monster of their and their political punditry's making. It was really an awkward scenario. So now there's this movement on the right to try and keep only so many folks on the dais during the next GOP primary so that it's easier to rest him down. Because remember, he never got 50% or better of any primary vote until it was just him and John Kasich at the end. He wasn't winning a majority of GOP voters because there were too damn many of them to choose from. Anyway, uh, Bookman uh, uh, writes about Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, in such a way. I'll give you bits and pieces of this because I only have a few more minutes on this segment. Marjorie Taylor Greene is an idiot. And idiots, as a rule, aren't interesting people. They aren't interesting because their idiocy overshadows all other aspects of their personality. <whistles> Green is more an exemplar of that rule than an exception to it. That's how this thing starts. Uh, let's see, more than 775,000 people live in the 14th district. And if they have concluded that Green is the best person to represent that district's interests and values, if they think she's the best and brightest they have to offer the country then they have the right to make that choice. As just one of 435 members of Congress, what harm could she do, right? I would tell Jay, in fact, I invited him on the show today. We didn't get to uh, catch up. Uh, I know a lot of people in that 775,000 folks in that district. And I know many of whom who are steadfast conservatives and Republicans who do not believe that she best represents them. Unfortunately, no one wanted to challenge her. No one had the money or authority to challenge her in that district. Aside from, you know, the one Democratic candidate who she beat by like a two to one margin, right? I'll have Jay's column in today's show notes, by the way. I'm going to give you a couple more paragraphs. Because of such stupidity, not despite it, but actually because of it, Green has been elevated by the Republican Party to prominent positions in the hierarchy of the party and in Congress. She now serves on the House Oversight Committee one of the more visible platforms the party can offer, and also in the Committee on Homeland Security, where no doubt she can be most effective in her campaign to protect us from Jewish space lasers. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has gone so far as to pledge his external devotion to Green, telling friends, quote, I will never leave that woman. I will always take care of her. 
like her ex-husband. And Green herself seems to be positioning herself as a running mate to Donald Trump if he wins the Republican nomination and even if he doesn't. Green's growing prominence is further proof that the Republican Party has forfeited the ability to defend itself against stupidity. It has become a party in which even its nominally brighter and best educated, those with advanced degrees from the nation's most prestigious universities, must feign a level of ignorance that would get you flunked from a ninth grade civics class. Wow. In this case, almost no one in the GOP has dared to challenge the insanity of Green's proposal the national divorce he's speaking of, uh, because confronting insanity in that party has become the pathway to irrelevance. Liz Cheney. Bad ideas that are not confronted and challenged become stronger. Silence is taken as acquiescence, which in fact it is. Man, that last line just sum up the Trump era of the GOP, the MAGA era of the GOP existence in this country, or what? Great job, Jay. We'll have that link in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. More Ron Show on America One Radio next. Take the Ron Show wherever you go. Download the America One Radio app to your smartphone and listen on the go. Or in traffic wishing you were on the go. The Ron Show on America One Radio. So it's a little after 5.30 as you're listening now. We may actually already have the uh, results of the uh, Senate vote on the City of Buckhead City movement. If you've... uh, Spoiler alerted your way through Twitter to find out. If not, well, then just follow along with me as we listen to floor arguments. We want to listen to uh, Senator Josh McLaren, who is a Democrat who represents a lot of Buckhead and Sandy Springs and up into Johns Creek. He makes a, a pretty resounding and I think uh, well thought out floor argument against this movement. Let's take a listen. Thank you, Mr. President. I'm used to losing. I've lost for a few years straight now because I'm a Democrat in the General Assembly. Uh, I cared about it a lot more when I first started because I came in, I got elected. Y'all remember what it felt like. And I came in, I introduced bills. I really wanted hearings. I wanted to be involved. I wanted to help govern. I wanted to be part of the process. Uh, But that's not how it always works. You learn to start taking your L's, not just policies you don't want to pass, but policies where you go to the well because you really care about the policy you want to argue for the opposite of the policy. So you go to the well, you speak passionately. And for the first year or two, when I was in the House, I believed that if I spoke passionately enough, if I made the right arguments, that it would change the outcome. And it often did not. It almost never did. And you start to learn how to appreciate losing. You start to realize that there's more to this job than just wins and getting things done. You have to realize there's more to this job or else you go insane. Can I get a what-what for my Democrats? But with that time and with that, you know, pressure making you into a diamond, or at least not at least, you know, the lump of coal you came in as, you start to become a little wiser about what this is really about. You start to go back to your communities for town halls and realize that that connection you have with your constituents, when you go talk to them directly, that that's the single most important part of your job. You realize that even if you can't win, even if your district's preferences don't always get voted, you realize that just listening to them, just hearing them, is what matters more than anything else in our representative system. And I realized after a couple years that the one thing I have that's irreducible, that all of you enjoy as well, is the privilege, the honor, of speaking for your residents in your districts, your communities, the people you know, 
the parents of the kids who go to school together, you know your district better than anybody in here. I want to thank Lieutenant Governor, actually, for the opportunity to do this debate today. Because I think what you have communicated with your voters, if you're leaning towards the yes vote, in some sense, and I would agree, is correct. That we deserve to be addressing big questions. That if people are mad, if people are angry at how their government is working, and they want something different, what is the solution if their representation, if they don't feel their representation is delivering? The reason I started out by talking about losing in the General Assembly is because I want you to know that when I say <laughs> that I hear and respect the idea that there are people who are disgruntled with their government who wish it could be different, trust me, I understand. And it's always difficult and hard to go back to your voters when you lose and say, sorry, I just couldn't get it done. I don't like debating Republicans in general elections who get to say, if you elect me, I'll be part of the majority and I'll pass more bills. This guy won't be able to, because they're right. I, I don't like that. That feels bad. But I keep coming down here. I keep beating my head against the brick wall, speaking my mind and trying to vote my district, because that's the job. When people write me about Buckhead City, if they disagree with my position, I try to write them back. I don't get to everybody. But what I want voters to understand is even if they're on the minority side in my district, even if they support the creation of a Buckhead City, that even if I disagree with them, I hear them. And I think the mayor of Atlanta, Atlanta officials have largely taken the same posture, which is the system's not perfect. The system doesn't always reflect your preferences, your approach at every opportunity. But that's the system we've chosen. You know, my friends across the aisle often use the phrase, we don't live in a democracy. We live in a republic. Now, a lot of times that's like a cheeky line thrown around in a debate, and we get like, ah, oh, you know, get into it. But I really listen to that, too. And that means something. And to me, what it means is you don't always sway back and forth with a change in a poll, public opinion. We have a role here. As much as you can cast what we're doing as elitism and we're, not, we're in here and they're out there and we're separated from voters, as much as there's a lot of truth to that, we are still representatives in a republic. And there are times when we are called to hold the line on some popular impulses that just won't work out. Not about philosophical ideology disagreement necessarily. Sometimes there's things, there's facts, there's details that we have, we're privy to because we've got research offices and we've got experts and lawyers who can tell us what will actually happen if we follow a popular impulse. And at some junctures, we just have to hold the line. There's several speakers who are going to follow me today who are going to get into a little bit more of the nuts and bolts of really what happens in practice if we do this. I mean, we, could, we really could go back and forth and, you know, great Senate theatrics about what it means to be in a democracy and who are, which voters are being heard and which voters are not. I actually think a lot of that discussion is a distraction. I think the real debate today and the debate that we are trying to be humble and transparent and factual about with our colleagues today is how much of a disaster this would actually be from a governance standpoint, from a legal standpoint, if this thing actually goes. It is the kind of thing that is so egregious that it does invoke that role as Republicans, small r, members of a republic who have to make the, the tough decision to not always go with every bit of popular pressure. 
There's been a lot of discussion from the first two speakers about self-determination and voting rights. This idea that we've made a bunch of cities in North Fulton, that this has happened over and over again, no. And you all know this. We have never de-annexed a city in this way. We've just never done it. We have incorporated new cities from unincorporated territory, and that has avoided all the practical problems, from schools to bonds and you name it, that you'll hear about today. But the history is that we've never done this, that this is entirely new. And using the rhetoric of popular democracy to try to cover over the practical obstacles to doing this is an abdication of our duty as legislators, straight up. I represent Sandy Springs and Johns Creek. I have represented them the entire time I've been in the General Assembly. Sandy Springs is beautiful. <laughs> That's where I live for four years, or I did. Now I live in Buckhead, I have a condo there now. But in Sandy Springs, I have gotten to know members of the Republican Party, Democrats, local elected officials, who have taught me the value of creating the city of Sandy Springs in the way that it did. And I've been a huge cheerleader for the way that Sandy Springs has done civic services, culture, events, bringing the community together. But Sandy Springs faced none of the issues that my colleagues are gonna raise with you today. So it's disingenuous. We can't accept, that cannot be a legitimate argument to accept in this debate, that this is something that has happened over and over again. This is the first time that we're doing this. I submit to you colleagues that voters have had the opportunity to weigh in on this issue. My colleagues and I who represent Buckhead have been vocal about the unity of the city of Atlanta and we were elected by significant margins. Now, I'm not trying to toot our own horn, I'm just saying we have a system of representative government that has functioned the way it's supposed to. And the local delegation doesn't want this. That's representative government in action. But more importantly than that philosophical argument, because I wanna to talk today about what happens in practice, and that's gonna be our theme. Practically speaking, what happens a new Buckhead city, were it to exist, would elect the type of people that the voters who are pushing for this don't want in charge. Put simply, it would elect Democrats, because that's what the numbers show. I don't have to show you all an Excel spreadsheet. I think you believe me on this. A new Buckhead city would elect Democrats for mayor and council positions. And they'd very likely elect people with the same ideology and priors that the city of Atlanta has been using to try to cater to all citizens' needs. And, and I want to be very clear, I am not dunking and saying, oh, Democrats, ha-ha. I'm saying that the expectations that voters outside Metro Atlanta have for a new Buckhead city are not realistic expectations. Again, in practice, the type of government that would emerge is not what those voters are trying to accomplish. So as representatives and representative government, I'm asking you to see that. Putting all the ideology, all the high-minded rhetoric to the side, this project will not do what its advocates say it will on so many fronts. And that's the message we have for you today. I'll wrap up just by saying this. You know, look, I'm the first one to make lawyer jokes because <laughs> lawyers can be some interesting people. I am one. I know a bunch. We're, we're a quirky, weird bunch, uh, and we've got you know, very specific perspectives that come with being lawyers. But I'll tell you one thing I like about lawyers We've dedicated our professional careers to the rule of law. We care about whether these systems work. We care about whether democracy functions, again, for everybody. And there's some rhetoric that was up here in the world today about, you know, it's only, it only takes three people to make case law. One of them's got like a black robe and 
I think the, the, the phrase that the last speaker used was legally significant. These are sort of, you know, shorthand, sort of dismissive statements to talk about the entirety of the rule of law. I mean, think about the deference we give our Supreme Court when they walk in, when they sit down at the state of the state or the state of the judiciary. Think about the respect that we show our judges, many of whom came from our ranks. And we recognize how important and distinct their function is. The legal arguments against this are not just another talking point. They're not just media for your mail. They are the real practical meat and potatoes of governance that we swore under oath that we would come here to execute faithfully. And look, I, I don't want to just get all defensive because I have a law degree and I've dedicated my time to thinking and acting this way. But this is real, y'all. This is not just another political bill that we pass and message on. This is playing with fire, y'all, in, in a really serious way. And if there were ever a time for y'all to, to join a coalition that includes a lot of Democrats and a lot of Republicans to say, Enough is enough on this. We've given this air, we've given this idea discussion. But it's not just legally significant. It's not just a person in a black robe barking orders. This is dangerous. And with humility and respect for you and your decision making today, and for the relationships that we've started to build as I've joined this chamber, I'm asking you, please, please, please hold the line on good government, and on representative democracy. Thank you, Mr. President. I yield the well. Senator McLaurin followed uh, floor arguments from the author of the two bills that are coming up. Senate uh, Bill 114 was the one being debated first, and then Senate Bill 113. I don't know why they would do that backwards. In any event, uh, Randy Roberts from Catala, Georgia, had argued before about all the other times that the Georgia General Assembly had voted on city amendments, but he was being disingenuous because there was no de-annexation to form a new city scenario in play. He pointed to Sandy Springs uh, as, as an example, uh, Villa Rica as well. And like, there are examples of new cities coming to be. I mean, we've got one coming together now uh, in South DeKalb, but they didn't de-annex from another city. And of course, rob that city of infrastructure and police and fire stations and parkland to do it either. Uh, so Senator McLaurin, uh, kudos for pointing out that discrepancy as it needed to be done. Also, kudos to him for pointing out that we don't live in a democracy. We live in a representative republic. Uh, Republicans love pointing that out. I was talking about the Electoral College. Tucker Carlson in the first segment, hey, you want democracy? Let's have democracy, buddy. Also, if we want to talk about the right of people to vote, um, well, why aren't we putting some other ballot measures? In fact, we should amend these two bills to make it so that we can have a statewide referendum on things like, I don't know, right to an abortion? How do you guys feel about that? The right to vote, right? We, we want the right to vote. I mean, let's put these things to a vote. Let's put that to a vote. That should be an amendment attached to these two bills. Let's see how fast these eight co-sponsors of the City of Buckhead City movement take their names off that amendment. Let's see how fast Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones wants to pull this legislation from even being considered on the Senate floor. Guarantee to you they wouldn't be so hardy about seeking the right for folks to vote on things then and there. Sanctimonious crap.
Anyway, as we uh, keep producing today's show, we are eavesdropping and keeping our eye on not only the Senate discussion, but hopefully a vote to happen before we go to air. That'd be nice. More Ron Show on America One Radio after this. Aside from being politically savvy and a commentator of all things public policy and pop culture, I'm also a realtor with EXP Realty. And I don't know if you saw this recently, but Housing and Urban Development, HUD, decided, you know what? First time homebuyers deserve a break on their mortgage insurance premium. It's a way that you, the individual buyer, can save on your mortgage insurance premium. It had been spiked up about 11, 12 years ago after the housing crash to 0.85% the cost of the mortgage. Well, they lowered it to 0.55%. And that can save you, I don't know, anywhere from 60 to 75, maybe $100 a month, depending on the price of the home you're going to purchase. Now, you may not think that that's a big deal, but if you are a renter right now, ask yourself, is your landlord going to cut your rent by 75 to 100 bucks a month? We both know the answer. Stop patting your landlord's bottom line and start patting your own when you buy your first home. Give me a call, 843-283-0078, or email me, ron at rononthereal.com. Georgia MLS 396720. Want to be on the show? Have a cause or campaign you'd like to speak up for? Email ron at ronshowatl.com or call 404-919-2725. The Ron Show on America One Radio. So I don't know if by the time I get done with this segment, we're going to have a vote on the city of Buckhead city bills or not. Well, I mean, there's actually two bills, so I don't got to imagine there's going to be some blathering and grandstanding. Anyway, we may not have a result by the time I'm done wrapping up today's show. And I apologize for that. However, follow us on Twitter at Ron show ETL. We will have, uh, uh, any, anything that we, uh, get vote wise on that for you. If I cannot break that news uh, here at the end of the show, sorry about that. Uh, it's as I'm recording this, I'm already into the show. It's like 12 minutes after five, uh, as I'm recording the last segment here. And I know that's not what time it is right now. So don't freak out thinking you've got, you know, time travel issues. <laughs> uh, let's get to, uh, on this day in women's history, uh, March is women's history month, uh, after all. And, uh, as I did for black history month, I thought it would be really cool to spotlight, uh, inspiring women in history as well. Uh, let's see. Susanna M. Salter, mayor of Argonia, Kansas, born on this day in 1860, the first woman elected as mayor and the first woman elected to any political office in the United States. She was born on this day, Susanna Salter in 1860. Uh, Gillette Hayden, a pioneering dentist and periodontist born on this day in 1880. She founded the American Academy of Periodontology. Did that fit on a sign? Uh, and served as its president. Uh, oh, this pretty big. Today in 1955, a 15-year-old black teenager. Can you imagine this? A 15-year-old black teenager, Claudette Calvin, was arrested for refusing to give up her seat to a white woman on a public bus in Montgomery, Alabama. Everybody remembers Rosa Parks. However, before Rosa Parks, there was 15-year-old Claudette Calvin refusing to give up her seat to a white woman in Montgomery, Alabama, in the year 1955. I learned something new today. Uh, Elena Sanchez Valenzuela, one of the first Mexican silent film stars, born on this day in 1900. Hmm. And Meta Victoria Fuller Victor was born today in 1831. She is credited with writing the first American detective novel. Huh. Born on this day in 1831. Okay, so uh, we actually are getting a vote on this. And... 
On the passes of the bill, the yeas are 23 and the nays are 33. And this bill has not received the Rexwick constitutional majority and therefore has failed. And there you have it. So the Buckhead City thing is no more. Well, I don't. Even, what am I going to talk about tomorrow? <laughs> I know I focus on this a lot, but this has been a really big deal locally. Y'all, I don't understand. I, I, again, uh, this to me was a lazier form of white flight, and Atlanta has already suffered a lot from white flight, and only through the continuing growing of the bluishness of outlying counties, Cobb County, Gwinnett County. Uh, Clayton County, obviously, DeKalb County, uh, the, the the bluish nature of these counties, do we start to see a bit more of a cohesiveness of the metropolitan area to work together to solve major issues? It's why MARTA was, for the first, what, 40 years of its existence, largely ineffective because it was designed to be ineffective by state leadership in its creation. And so it's going to take more of a cohesive effort from the metro area to grow the region's mass transit. That's just one of many examples. It's it's uh, also noteworthy to point out that <laughs> Keisha Lance Bottoms was not well-liked within the state legislature, and that Andre Dickens has a lot of fans even on the right. By the way, Senator John Albers, I, I, here I am. I've got another Republican. I kind of don't not I kind of don't dislike. He made an impassioned speech against the Buckhead City measure. Even talked about it giving an anecdote about sitting uh, or standing up before uh, a bunch of Republicans and talking about this and he asked a show of hands who's all for a uh, Buckhead City vote and all the Republican hands went up. And then he said, "Uh, do you guys realize to my friends, you do know Buckhead is a Democrat city that voted overwhelmingly for the other guy, right? You know, they voted for Stacey Abrams. They're going to elect Democrats, right? And he said some of the hands started going down. And then he said, you do know that because of all the, the bond implications, that property taxes in all the outlying cities around this Buckhead city are going to go up too, right? And like almost all the hands were down then. Because the Buckhead city movement, folks, didn't think this thing through. They had three years to have a game plan to explain how things would roll out, and, and they didn't have answers. And then, bless his heart, he was followed up. <laughs> he was followed up by uh, Greg Dolezal from Forsyth County, who literally said 51% of violent crime that happens in Forsyth County, or in his district in Forsyth County, is perpetrated by people from, quote, Metro Atlanta. Well, bright guy, that's because Forsyth County and your district in Forsyth County is in Metro Atlanta. Smart one there. Anyway, the measure has failed. We are saved from some abject stupidity from folks who mostly live nowhere near Buckhead. Uh, oh, wait, I got to tell you this one real quick. Randy Robertson from Catala, Georgia, um, talks about how he drives through Buckhead every day he comes to Atlanta. And I got to tell you, uh, like I'm no geography major, but I know Catala is southwest of here, and Buckhead is on the northeast end of Atlanta. We need to get this guy a Garmin. He he doesn't need to go through Buckhead to get to the state capitol building, like ever, like ever. 
Waze, man. Download the Waze app or something. Uh, is Do you not have Siri on your phone? Because I do. Anyway, I'm going to leave you on that. Notes. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com. And, of course, now available for weeks now on all the podcast platforms, the major ones. Anyway. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. Show notes and more, RonShowATL.com. Ronshowatl.com.